This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now, enjoy today's message with Adam Donier. We have just spent the last three weeks in a series, Resilient, and I'm closing the chapter on this series today in Resilient. And here's why I think it's so important. In the last three sermons that Ted has given on this phenomenal, so even though most of you slackers didn't do your homework when he asked you to do your homework... That's okay, because we're going to bring it home today. But here is why this series matters. Because I believe resilient grandparents and resilient parents create resilient kids. And I think we need more resilient kids. Right? And and I think, I grew up in the 80s, and I wholeheartedly believe the people that grew up in the 50s were more resilient than I was. And the people that grew up in the 30s through Great Depression and everything else were even more resilient than they were. And so I think resiliency is on the way. let, Let me give you an example, right? When I grew up in 1985, do you know what the percentage of sales were for hand sanitizer? It was zero. You don't know what it was last year? Look it up. Three billion. Three billion. Man, dirt is a great anti-immune system. Just, just. When I grew up, there were kids outside all the time playing. Football and basketball and sports and they would have disagreements and they'd have to figure out how to resolve conflict and everything else. So while they're playing touchdown, now they're all playing touchscreen Fortnite or whatever else video game they're playing, right? When I grew up, I got gifts on two days of the year, my birthday and Christmas. Now your little jokers have figured out your Amazon password and they got it the next day at your doorstep. (laughs) Instant gratification doesn't deliver resilience in kids. Resilience is so important, right? Letting them ride their bikes, letting them hurt their knees, letting them go different. Like, resilient kids matter. And I think we need more resilient kids, right? And, and I think, I grew up in the 80s, and I wholeheartedly believe the people that grew up in the 50s were more resilient than I was. And the people that grew up in the 30s through Great Depression and everything else were even more resilient than they were. And so I think resiliency is on the way. I, let, let me give you an example, right? When, when I grew up in 1985, do you know what the percentage of sales were for hand sanitizer? It was zero. You all know what it was last year? Look it up. Three billion. Three billion. Man, dirt is a great anti-immune system. Just, just. When I grew up, there were kids outside all the time playing. Football and basketball and sports and they would have disagreements and they'd have to figure out how to resolve conflict and everything else. So while they're playing touchdown, now they're all playing touchscreen Fortnite or whatever else video game they're playing, right? When I grew up, I got gifts on two days of the year, my birthday and Christmas. Now your little jokers have figured out your Amazon password and they got it the next day at your doorstep. (laughs) Instant gratification doesn't deliver resilience in kids. Resilience is so important, right? Letting them ride their bikes, letting them hurt their knees, letting them go different. Like, resilient kids matter. Which, in order to have resilient kids, we got to have resilient parents, resilient adults. And so that's what this whole series has been about in, in developing resilience. And so the final series is called Knock Down, But Not Out. Right? And so a couple weeks ago, Ted gave his best Rocky quote. I'm not going to try, or Rocky impersonation. I'm not going to try to do that. 
I'm just going to show you guys a video clip from Rocky instead. Enjoy. Here you go. You ain't going to believe this. But you used to fit right here. I'd hold you up and say to your mother, this kid's going to be the best kid in the world. This kid's going to be somebody better than anybody ever knew. And you grew up good and wonderful. It was great just watching every day. It was like a privilege. Then the time come for you to be your own man and take on the world, and you did. But somewhere along the line, you changed. You stopped being you. You let people stick a finger in your face and tell you you're no good. And when things got hard, you started looking for something to blame, like a big shadow. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, then go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that. I'm always going to love you no matter what. No matter what happens. You're my son, you're my blood. You're the best thing in my life. But until you start believing in yourself, you ain't gonna have a life. Right, he's just, he's just preaching resilience to his son and I think our own father's preaching resilience to their children and in the, in the, in the same vein, right? I always love watching movies with my kids and then I love every piece of music or movie you watch has a message and it's trying to lay a message on your heart. And so I love to take stuff with my sons and say, okay, what part of that is true? What part of that is not biblically true? And so whether you realize it or not, there's actually a lot of truth in what Rocky just said there. And I don't know if Sylvester Stallone meant to or not, but, but when you go to Scripture, when he talks about the world being a cold, dark, mean place, and it'll beat you to a pulp and keep you there if you let it, he's absolutely true. And Jesus says the same thing. Let's look at Scripture about what it says about the world. If the world hates you, Keep in mind, it hated me first. This is Jesus talking. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Right? And so there's so many ways to look at being knocked down. And so many times I think when we get knocked down, the easy cheat way to do it is to blame God. Don't blame God. Adam and Eve got you in this mess. Not God. They're the ones that blew it. Right? The world is broken, it's fallen, it's, it's sinful. Look, look at another way to put it. If you look at 1 John 5, 19, it says, we all know that we're children of God, and the whole world is under control of the evil one. Now, this doesn't mean that Satan wins. I've read the whole book. I know who wins. What this is saying is this is a fallen world. Satan doesn't have more power than an omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent God, but he is here. And as a matter of fact, 1 Peter says he's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Right? It's a fallen world. That's what this means. So if it's a fallen world, there's going to be fallen people. In other words, there's going to be people that are getting knocked down all the time. 
Matthew says it this way. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who is, let's contextualize this word since we've been doing a series, help me out, but it is the one who has been resilient to the end who will be saved. Right? Synonymous with endured, resilient. It's the one who has been resilient that will be saved. Now here's the reality with all of you that walked in here today. You're in one of these three categories. I've, I've, I've walked with Jesus long enough to know that one of us falls in these three categories. You're either knocked down right now. You're flat on the back. You are on the canvas. You are going through it. You've just been diagnosed with cancer. You're going through an affair. You, you, your, your health, your finances, your job, your relationship. You just broke up with a boyfriend. You just broke up with a girlfriend. You just got caught cheating, got caught lying, got an addiction. You're in the middle. Some, you're either knocked down. You're about to be knocked down. and You might not even see the haymaker coming or you're just getting up. That, that, that's, that's for all of us the rest of our life until we take our last breath on earth and our first breath in the presence of the king. That, that's the reality of a fallen, broken world, right? And, and so when you think about people all throughout scripture, right? Who are some people that you can think of that have been knocked down besides Jesus? I, I know I've told you guys 99.9% of the time, just tell me that and you'll be right. Yes, Jesus got knocked down. Who else got knocked down? Job, Job got knocked down. Absolutely, Job got knocked down. Everything taken from him. His family, his riches, everything. Job got knocked down. Who else got knocked down? Joseph. Joseph got knocked down. He didn't do anything wrong. Potiphar's wife tried to hook up with him, and he ran out naked trying to flee it. And he got accused wrongly. He walked in integrity, and he got knocked down. Who else got knocked down? Jonah got knocked down. Jonah, that was kind of his own fault. If he just do what God told him to do, he'd be fine. Right? If you don't get, want to get swallowed by a big fish, do what you're supposed to do. Paul got knocked down. I heard some young man yell, Paul, good job. Yes, Paul got knocked down. Who else? Peter. Peter got knocked down. And we're going to talk about Peter getting knocked down. I, 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 in my opinion, as I think out throughout Scripture, one, be encouraged. There's nobody you'll find in Scripture that didn't get knocked down. Noah got knocked down. Brother got wasted drunk and exposed his nakedness. Moses got knocked down. Killed an Egyptian, went into the water. Like, you can't find anyone in Scripture that, that does not get knocked down. Even our Savior got knocked down. So why would any of you think that you're not going to be experiencing being knocked down? But just because you're knocked down doesn't mean you're knocked out. And if you're still breathing, you're still sitting here, it's because God has a plan and a purpose for you. And so I want to look at Peter. Because I, I, I can't think of a bigger knockout, knockdown punch than the one he received. Right? Let, let's, look, let's look at what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm sorry, this, this is Paul. We talked about Paul. Paul gets knocked down, and it says in 2 Corinthians 11, 24, 24, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in the danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. Talk about getting knocked down. That's Paul. We're going to get to Peter here in a second, but, but he got knocked down. So, so last week, my wife and I and my two boys, we did a little tour of Texas to see a bunch of old friends. It wasn't hot enough for us in Branson, so we decided to... <laughs> go down to Texas instead, and, and we spent some friends, and as a matter of fact, someone who used to be a member here at Woodlands before they moved to Waco, Jeff Lemley, was having a Bible study, and we're staying at their house, and he said, hey, do you want to go to Bible study with me next morning? Well, I'm a teaching pastor. You don't got an option, 
right? Yeah, yeah, of course I'll go. What time? Well, we need to be there at 6.30. I was like, awesome. I'm on vacation. We'll get up early. Let's go. But nevertheless, I went. I just knew God had something for me. Any time I get up here, I just God just prepares me to be here to make sure I'm just in tune with his spirit, sacred echo, all of it. And so we get there, and, and Jeff Lemley has started this Bible study that just started out with two guys, and now it's 19 guys meeting in this little restaurant in Waco, and it's just exploding. It's got anywhere from like 20-year-old college students in it to 70-year-old men. And he, and he designates different people to lead the Bible study every week. It's really special. And so I show up to this Bible study and just say, Lord, okay, what do you got? And this guy he designated to lead the Bible study was a guy named Jeff Turner. And Jeff starts to share, and I asked him afterwards, I said, man, you're not going to believe this. I'm about to give a message to our church body. Would you, could you send me everything you just shared? So this 70-year-old Jeff Turner, on what he's been in his life, and it instantly reminded me of the verse I just shared with all of you. He's had two knee surgeries, shoulders been dislocated, torn bicep, broken both legs, concussed, ruptured Achilles, 200 killer bee stings, cancer, two heart surgeries, cardioversion. He's held his brother, his mom, and his arms as they died, watched his brother-in-law die, lost his sister and couldn't be by her side because it was during COVID and she was in ICU and they wouldn't let any outside visitors in. On December 7, 2020, he had bilateral knee replacement surgery. Two nights later, he had cramps in both legs for three hours. They thought he was out, so there wasn't anybody paying attention to him. They just thought it, it would wear off and he'd be awake, but he wakes up. doesn't wear off, and so he's awake. He's got cramps in both legs for three hours. He's incontinence for two hours. He's got no payment and can't reach the call button for four hours. He was so anxious and scared, his heart rate climbed to 200 beats per minute, and he had to be rushed to the ER or ICU. Finishes sharing with all this, and he goes, God is so good. And, and he just radiated this joy of Christ. And you've been around these people. They just have something that you can't explain, but it's the joy of Jesus. And despite all of that, he understood James chapter 1, which says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because they develop things in us. What do they do? Perseverance. They strengthen our faith. They develop resilience. They develop things in us that Christ will use to develop in us. And, and it's the same way. And, and then I thought, man, there's so many people I can think of that could have thrown in the towel because they were going through suffering or difficult times or they've been knocked down, but they refuse to be knocked down and they allow God to use them and they've impacted this kingdom. How about Nikola Vujicic? Born with no arms, no legs, has literally, by God using him, has brought hundreds of thousands of people to the cross and into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Didn't complain. He's married. He's crushing it. If you don't know his story, you've got to look him up. It's unbelievable. How about Inky Thompson? University of Tennessee, all-American defensive player, about to be a first-round NFL draft pick. He's playing for the University of Tennessee, hits this guy in a football game, paralyzes his whole right side of his body. Unbelievable motivational speaker, sharing the gospel everywhere he goes. Coaches from every college and every NBA and every pro team and football team, they all request Inky to come speak at their teams. Every single one of them like, man, this guy's just got something different. Yeah, coaches, it's called Jesus. That's what Inky has. What about Joni Erickson Tata? 17 years old, decides to dive into Chesapeake Bay. Doesn't realize how shallow the water is. Fractures two of her vertebrae, quadriplegic the rest of her life. Rather than getting angry and mad at God, she goes through the storm. She's knocked down. She comes out of it. Now God's using her as one of the biggest evangelists and, and ministry movers for di- people with disabilities. Crushing it. 
And she paints with her mouth. She creates amazing paintings. She's got a podcast and a ministry. It's unbelievable how she was knocked down, but she refused to be knocked out. How about Franklin Rivas Hodges? Escaped from El Salvador. First 10 years of his life, sexually abused, molested, taken advantage of, abandoned, then recruited to an El Salvadorian gang where something in his heart tells him to get out of this because he's going to end up dead. He flees El Salvador on foot, making it all the way to the States to where eventually he gets adopted and becomes a part of a ministry in Dallas called House of Eli, where he comes to know Jesus and is living for Jesus. As a matter of fact, check this out. I just did his wedding last week, and you can look up his story on Christianity Today. They just released an article about it last week. First act that he did when I put rings on his, in his finger and his wife's finger, he, he gets down on his knees and he washes her feet. I met with another sexually abusive victim this last week at lunch. He said one of the most profound, powerful things. And he said to me, he said, I know everything that happened to me wasn't my fault, but I am responsible for how I treat my wife and how I treat other people today. Man, that's powerful. He's been knocked down, really been knocked down, like significantly been knocked down. And so I want to get to Peter now when you see him being knocked down. Like, like this is Peter, man. This is like, yo, I'm Petra. I'm the rock. Like, I'm never going to get knocked down. Like, I want you to look at this. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. What's that called? Somebody said, what's it called? It's pride. It comes before what? When you get knocked down, what do you do? You fall. A lot of pride. I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me. Say, I want everybody to say, it's going to be important at the end here. You'll see why. How many times? Three times, okay? You would disown me three times, but Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, Jesus, I'm your rider, die, day one, A1. I'm going all the way to the death with you. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Wow. Wow, Peter. That's some loyalty, man. You're amazing. You'll never, ever disown Jesus. That's amazing. That's so bold of you. Why did Peter get knocked down? Just said it. It's pride. Look at it. And here's reasons why you, me, all this. There's reasons why we get knocked down. Pride. Pride comes before the fall. Some of you might be knocked down flat on your back right now because of your own pride. Or you're about to get knocked down because of your pride. Or you're getting up in a much more humble state because you got knocked down because of your pride. Pride is a key sin that flows out every other sin. It's, It's the fertile soil from which all other sins grow. And, and, and if any of you in here think you don't struggle with pride, you prove my point. Right? It, it, it's, it's what got Lucifer kicked out of heaven, and it's what got Adam and Eve to give us a fallen, broken world to inherit. Pr- pride is why you are going to get knocked down, you got knocked down, or why you're getting up from being knocked down. The, the other one is just God's sovereign plan. Maybe, maybe, maybe like Joseph... You didn't, you didn't do anything wrong. Matter of fact, you walked in integrity. And you got knocked down just because it's God's sovereign plan. And you might not see it, but God is using it in your life. 
Romans 8.28 says this, For God works all things for good for those he's called according to his purpose. For those who love God, he works all things for good for those he's called according. So it may not seem good now. The health scare you're going through, the broken relationship you're going through, the difficult season you're in, it may not seem pleasant right now. But God will use it for good. That's a promise. That's God's promise that he's going to use it for good in your life. The other one is just sanctification, which the word in the Greek literally means to be set apart. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says it is God's will that you would be sanctified. So in God's love for you, he's going to grow you. He's going to mature you. He's going to develop resilience in you, right? He's going to develop all those things in you so that when people look at you, they see hope. And they see a Jesus working in you that gives them hope. You might get knocked down because you let down your guard, right? Just get comfortable. Get loose. Just start going through the motions. I don't really, I don't really need to be in a community of believers. I don't really need to go to church. I don't really need to be plugged into other brothers and sisters in the Lord. I, just let down your guard. I'm comfortable. I'm good. See, a lot of young men and a lot of young women in the work that I do that get knocked down because of this right here. They're good. I'm good. Really? Uh, the last time I checked, I won't survive today without Jesus. I, I, I can't afford to let down my guard when there's an enemy prowling around looking to devour me. I can't afford to let down my guard when there's an enemy that hates me and any work that I do for God's kingdom. Right? I, I can't let down my guard. The, the, the other one is lack of accountability. You, you don't allow people into your life. You don't allow people to speak hard truth to you. You, you. you don't allow people to know what you're really struggling with. You don't allow people to really know your heart and, and, and how that manifests itself, right? What we think about is what we care about. What we care about is what we chase, and what we chase is what we become. We don't share people with some thoughts that we're dealing with, with the, and, and eventually manifest themselves into things that... Cause us to get knocked down. And the last one is someone else's sin. You might be knocked down and it had nothing to do with you and you did absolutely nothing wrong. But the sin and evil of somebody else knocked you down. A child that's an addict. A, a spouse that was either emotionally or physically abusive. Domestic abuse. Not your fault. Your, your children being an addict, not your fault. You want to blame somebody? Blame the enemy. And so some of you in here might be knocked down simply because of someone else's sin. And so this is where Peter gets knocked down. Look at this. His pride got him knocked down, but now look at this. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. And by the way, a young girl is not going to have much credibility in this day and age in history. You also are the Jesus of Galilee, she said to him, but he denied it before them all. I don't know... What you're talking about, he said. Say one. All right. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him. And he said to the people there, their fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again and an oath. I don't know the man. Say two. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them. I don't know the man. Say three. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. 
I think so many of us have heard this story, but we haven't really understood the significance of what's going on in this story. Peter, Peter, Peter thought he could knock anybody out. Peter, Peter thought he was the man. Peter thought he was Muhammad Ali. Peter, Peter thought nothing's going to knock him out. And, and his savior, who he walked on water with, who he saw feed thousands with little food, who, who he saw perform more miracles than any of you or I have ever seen him perform, who witnessed all these things and looked him dead in the eye and said, Jesus, I'm, I'm never going to back down. I'm going to die with you. I will never disown you. Denies his savior, which I think is one of the biggest knockout punches in all of scripture. Denies his savior three times and immediately after he does it, that rooster crows. Boom. You, you want to you talk, talk about being knocked down. You want, I mean, Peter is flat on his back. He is knocked out. And here's the crazy thing. There were no iPhones or iWatches or Siri to say, hey, wake me up at 5 a.m. No, the rooster did that for you every single morning back then. So every single morning, what does Peter hear as he's knocked down flat on his back? He hears the rooster crowing again and again and again. And he's reminded every single morning of how he had denied his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But you know what's amazing about being knocked on your back? Look where my eyes are right now. It's the only place they can be. They can only be upward on the author and perfecter of my faith. I think sometimes our sweet Lord allows us to be knocked down so we can realign our gaze, keep our eyes fixated on the author and perfecter of our faith. We got nowhere to look. We got nowhere to turn. And I think he gets us that somewhere. And he was producing humility in Peter. And you know what else is amazing about being knocked down? You know the next position you're in when you get knocked down? He's practicing you for what you'll already experience in heaven. Revelation says that every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. This posture is the most powerful posture you'll ever be in. And the Lord loves when we're in this posture. Sometimes we're knocked down because we just need to get back to this posture. We need to get to this place. And so Peter, knocked down, hears that rooster crow every single morning, be reminded of his sin, being reminded of the night. You, you can't go mute a rooster like you can mute an iPhone? He heard that crow every single morning. I want you to think about that. He is reminded of a sin every single morning. But here's the beautiful thing. Ecclesiastes, the scripture says that his mercies are what? New every single morning. Great is his mercies. So Peter stops fighting. Peter takes off the gloves. And there's a humility that's cultivated in him. But he pouts. He pouts. That same Peter that left all of his nets, everything he knew comfortable, to follow Jesus, he, he goes back to the very thing he knew. He goes back to the very thing he was most comfortable doing. 
And so my question is for you, when you get knocked down, when you go through a difficult season, when things get hard, when finances get tough, when kids are troublesome or, or marriage is tough, what do you do? What do you turn to when you get knocked down? A lot of us in here, to be honest, we, we run back to the drink or the pills or the, the addictions or whatever else. What do you run to when you get knocked down? And, and for some of us, it might not be addictions. It might just be comfort. The, the thing, eating or sleep or whatever other things that we just find comfort in. That's what Peter did. Peter went back to where he was most comfortable, fishing. He went back to the boat. How do I know that? I'm going to show you. Scripture tells us he went back to doing what he was doing. He wasn't advancing all the things that Jesus told him to do. He went back to doing what he wanted. He blew it. He's on his back. He's like, I blew it. There's no resiliency in Peter today. I'm going back to knowing what I'm doing. I'm going to go count fish. Some of us go to isolation where we only give fertile soil for anxiety and depression and all these things to grow. So rather than telling somebody what a difficult season we're going through, we isolate ourselves, which is exactly where the enemy wants you to be. He wants you to isolate yourself. He wants you to lay flat on your back on that mat all alone. He wants you to go through that difficult season by yourself. But, but, but Jesus doesn't want you to go through that alone. That's why Jesus is extending his hand to every single one of you. And, and the most important thing or person you can turn to is Jesus. It's, it's Jesus. And some of you are like, man, I feel like I've been walking with Jesus for so long and it's just not getting anywhere. No matter, it seems like the more and more I walk with Jesus, the harder and harder it gets. I'm exhausted. I've been walking with Jesus for 20, 30, 40 years and it's just more suffering, more suffering, more suffering. You feel a lot like this. And I'm not here to preach a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel by any means this morning. I'm, I'm here to preach about spiritual riches, spiritual blessings. Galatians 6, 9 says, do not grow weary in doing good. For in due time, you will reap a harvest. Galatians 6, 9. And I'm not, I'm not talking about a monetary harvest. I'm talking about what Christ is producing in those who are resilient. Who are, who are willing to be unwavering in the midst of difficult seasons. Just because we're going through, through something difficult doesn't give us license to sin. And it doesn't give us license to blame God. It does give us freedom to get on our knees and pray to see what he might be trying to teach us through it. And I don't wish suffering on anyone in this room. And I know a room this size and people watching online that there's definitely suffering. But do not grow weary in doing good. So here's the beautiful part about Jesus. And the, and the way Jesus sees us when we're flat on our back. Look at this. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Say one. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, say two. Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, say three. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. Peter didn't realize. How many times did Peter deny him? I get chills every time. You think Jesus doesn't see you today? You think God doesn't see you right in the midst of your storm? He sees you. I'm here to tell you, he sees you. He sees your pain. He sees your hurt. He sees your child. He sees your grandchildren. He sees your parent. He sees your spouse. He sees you. And I hope and, and pray that you believe that he sees you. 
Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you, Jesus. Then feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Jesus would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. By the way, Jesus, or Peter was crucified upside down. He, he, he was so empowered and so restored after he blew it. Just like us, just like me, just like you in here. We blow it. We blow it all the time. But he blew it and Jesus said, no, 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 no. I make beauty out of ashes. I redeem what is broken. I, I, I don't call the qualified. I qualify the called. I got you. And all your brokenness and your addictions and everything you've messed up, yeah, you blew it. But we're going to be resilient. We're going to get up off the mat. We're going to get on our knees. We're going to keep pressing forward to Jesus. And Peter crushes it. The reason you and I are sitting here today because of what those early apostles did in their obedience to Jesus and spreading the gospel through a persecuted area of the world. And sometimes you're like, man, I, I don't have the strength. I don't have the energy. I don't have the capacity to get up off the mat. I don't have any resilience in me. That's okay. Look at what Psalm chapter 40 verse 2 says. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Maybe, maybe you don't have the energy or strength today. Jesus does. Je Jesus, when we're flat on our back, seems to meet us when our eyes are fixated on him, when we're in a posture of humility. It, 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 Jesus encounters us in the ER, in our closet, when we're alone crying because no one else knows what we're going through. Jesus sees you. He knows. That athlete I told you about earlier, Inky Johnson, says this. The one thing we all have in common is that we will encounter adversity. But we have to decide how we respond to it. My arm and my hand are paralyzed, but my heart isn't. My mind isn't. My dedication isn't. My work ethic isn't. My commitment isn't. You know, excuses are like armpits. Everybody's got them and they all stink. And, and Romans chapter 1 says that we're all without excuse. At the end of the day, we're all without excuse. Ah, I didn't, I didn't know you wanted me to be resilient. You know, really? All throughout the New Testament, Jesus encouraged us to be resilient. He gave you multiple verses on resiliency. And I, and I think what better thing that we can do when we talk about resilience than, than coming to the, the communion table? And so if you, if you didn't receive one of these when you came in today, will you please do me a favor and just slide up your hand? And our ushers would love to make sure you have communion. You know, communion is about reflecting, about examining our hearts about making sure that there's no unconfessed sin in our life that maybe has knocked us down. Communion is also for those who has proclaimed that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, that he died on the cross for their sins, that he was buried, resurrected, and is going to come back for us. So they've trusted in him as their Lord and Savior. If you've never professed 
that faith in Jesus, we're going to invite you instead to come pray with our prayer team afterwards, but not encourage you to partake in the elements because scripture says that those who do without faith in Jesus are eating and drinking judgment on themselves. But if you are a believer and non-believer alike, I just want you to pause and allow the Lord to search your heart for a minute. Father God, we come before you. We just pray Psalm 139, 23 through 24. It says, search me, O Lord, and know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. Lord, would you see if there's any offensive, sinful way in us and lead us in your way everlasting. Create in us pure hearts, O Lord. Renew within us steadfast spirits. For against you... And only you have we sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and grant us willing spirits to sustain us. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, after he would get knocked down, same night that Peter would get knocked down. It's all happened within about 14 hours. He's at the table and he takes the bread and he breaks it. He says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of that. Same way, Jesus takes a cup of wine for all of his followers. It says, my blood is shed for you. That's shed for you. It will cover all your sins, both past, present, and future. That will cover the sins of why you're knocked down. That will cover the sins of why you don't want to get up. He says, drink this in remembrance of me. He says, often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord and his death and his resurrection until he comes again. In a room this size, I don't even assume to know what some of you are dealing with. But I do know I believe in prayer. And I believe in the power of prayer. And this church body has an amazing prayer team. And they'll be up here as soon as I close this in prayer to pray with you. Some of you in here right now are flat on your back. You're knocked down and you don't see a way out. You, you, you have no idea how you're going to get out of this one. 
Some of you are just getting up and maybe your prayer is just praising him for getting you up through being knocked down. And maybe you're not knocked down yet, but I promise you that prayer team will be here next week too. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for being the most resilient man that we know. And so I just pray for this room so I can just sense there are people in here going through it, Lord. Going through it. And Lord, you see them. I know you see them. You just tug on their heart right now, Lord, and just reinforce that they're seen. Would you be with them? Would you be with their families? For any parents in here that are dealing with children that are going wayward, would you be with those parents? Any marriages in here that are severely suffering, would you be with those marriages? Any friends in here that are dealing with health issues and fear and anxiety, would you be with them? I just pray you'd wrap your arm around this congregation. All those listening online and all those right here. We love you, Father God. It's in the powerful and pure name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said.